You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Hey, I'm excited to be here tonight. Y'all ready to go? If y'all got Bibles or Bible apps, James 1. We'll start in verse 18 here in just a second. Uh, James 1, we'll start in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, somebody around you will have it. And uh, we'll read uh, just maybe eight, nine verses of Scripture and uh, just kind of dive into it. Uh, and I need to get into it quick just for the sake of time and what we need to do tonight. So let me just say this. I think I may have done this a couple of semesters ago, but it's, it's, a, it's a better illustration for right now. Uh, in 1968, the Rolling Stones came out with a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Though I try and I try and I try, I can't get no satisfaction. If you're into like rock and roll music in 1972, there was a title cut off of the album from Led Zeppelin. It was called The Song Remains the Same. And it was actually in response to the Rolling Stones. And what they were saying was seven years later, you know, song remains or four years later, song remains the same. We're still trying and we're still trying and we can't still get any kind of satisfaction. And the 80s, it was U2 that came out with their response to it. And they said, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And then in 1994, the exact same song from the Rolling Stones came out, and it said the exact same thing. It was called Remastered, but the words were the same thing. We're still trying, and we're still trying, and we can't get no satisfaction. And the very cheesiest way I can say it is this. True satisfaction comes in Jesus alone. It's only when we understand that do we realize that it's hard to live this life even when we claim that. If you ever studied the book of James, it's interesting because James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this letter to who he calls the scattered Christian Jews. In other words, they scattered for a reason. These are people that grew up in Jewish heritage, and there was a point to where they did and made the same decision that we have made. They said, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Because they said that, they were being persecuted. They were being kicked out of their jobs. They were being kicked out of their social circles. There were children being kicked out of schools. And they literally were ostracized from everything that they knew. So what happened was they scattered among the region looking for answers. And they were saying this, why is this happening to us? We were the same people that you knew a week ago and you're treating us this way. And so they did the best they could to try to find the answers on why they were being persecuted. So James, the head of the Jerusalem council, decided to write them a letter to give them encouragement. And I love how he puts it, if you ever read the practicality of it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, the trials and tribulations that you will go through. Do you know what he just said? He goes, hey, by the way, I don't feel sorry for you. He said, nobody told you this life was going to be easy. He said, but I did tell you, and it was promised you, that if you stick with it, in your weakness, he will be strong. And so he continued to teach them, and then he kind of goes in the second half of chapter 1, if you read it, there's an interesting verse that sticks out, and it's a very famous verse. It's interesting because if you ever read the Bible, there are famous verses in Scripture, John 3.16 probably being the most famous verse in all of Scripture. But if you ever study the book of James, probably the most famous verse is James 1.22. For don't be a hearer of the word, you need to be a doer of the word. Don't just hear the word, you need to do what it says. That verse about 20 years ago became so famous that Nike made commercials off of it. And I'm being serious. If you ever look at their, trans, at their whole like campaign back then, there were three words that did everything, and here's what it said. Just do it. Their mentality was this. Don't think about it. 
You don't even have to practice it. When you get on the field, just go for it and just do it. But what happened was this. The church decided to borrow that slogan back, and we kind of confused people. Because what happened was pastors started to preach, and they didn't do it in the wrong way, but we took it the wrong way. And they started to say things like this. That's right. You need to do a bunch of stuff for God. If you come to 98% Sunday school attendance, if you go on three mission trips, if you adopt 87 children, if you read the Bible 48 times in one day, the whole idea became this. Your measure of Christianity became on what you did. And that's what they were saying. Don't just think about it. You just need to do it. The problem was it literally started to mess up the church because we forgot Christianity is not based off of what we do. It's based off of who we are. The problem with that verse is this. If you ever start to study that part of scripture, most people will preach on James 1, 19 through 27, because the focal point of all of that is James 1, 22. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. But to preach that and for really for it to make sense to you, you have to back up one verse. And when you read that verse in verse 18, you start to realize the focal point of all of that passage is not James 1.22. It's James 1.18. And when you see that, it starts to change things. So I want to show you something when you open this Bible. It says it like this. James 1, starting in verse 18, he said this. He chose, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that it created. He goes further and says this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen Slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word but, and, and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gets freedom, and he continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, but yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is not worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in the distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. Interesting. There's a whole lot there. But you need to understand, for all of it to make sense, it hinges on verse 18. Not verse 22. He says he chose to give his birth through the word of truth, or the word of God, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. In other words, we are birthed, or we are saved by the word of God. To be a first fruits translates into living the Christian life. So if you look at what he says in that one verse, here's what he says. He chose to give us birth. He chose to save us through the word of God. And the only way you can live the Christian life is through the word of God. It's only when you understand that that you realize all of a sudden it makes sense. James 1.22 says this. Don't be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. So let me put the emphasis on you. Don't be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Of the word. He's not talking about what you do. He's talking about the word. God's word saves you. And gets you to the point to where you follow through in baptism. But hear me church. 
God's word is the only way you can be a first fruits of all that he created. It's the only way you live the Christian life. And we are living in a day that the book that we are least overwhelmed with in church now seems to be the Bible. I mean, we're living in a day where most people don't even bring a Bible to church, much less think they read it at home. I'm telling you right now, if you try to live the Christian life in your own power, you will be on half full forever. I mean, Jared just said it when he was up here. He said, stop trying to figure out how to fix yourself. In case you don't know it, you cannot fix yourself. If you could have fixed yourself, you'd have done that one a long time ago. It's why we need Jesus so bad. And there has to be a day where maybe we go back to understanding that the book that we should be overwhelmed with, that we should read, that we should study, that we should go back in the day that memorizes it is the Bible. But somehow or another, we've missed it. Somehow or another, most people in church are content just listening to me, listening to Zach, listening to somebody that preaches on Sunday morning. And it's almost like we've become part of the crowd. I mean, it's like the book you've heard, not a fan. It's almost like we're sitting around and going, hey, Wade, you did a good job. I'll just believe you. Listen, that's not God's word to me. It's God's word to you. And it's when you understand that, that this thing becomes personal. Because here's what I figured out. You cannot live what you do not know. The most important thing in the Christian life is the Bible. You cannot live what you don't know. It's like saying this, if you're trying to get somewhere and you don't know which way you're going, any road will get you there. But the Bible says it like this, thy word, God, is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. You know what that means? No way you live a week without the word of God. But if we're really honest, if we just sit back and just like, shoot straight with each other, probably most of us in this room, apart from listening to some guy preach, have probably not personally read the Bible in weeks. But you wonder why you have no direction. There has to be a point where we understand what he is saying, because here's the deal. He's writing this to the scattered Christian Jews who are trying to find answers to their issues. By the way, that's us. That's you and me. We're all trying to figure out what it is we need to understand. So if we leave this place tonight and say, God, you know what? I need that. I need to get into your word. There was a day that maybe I read it and was really overwhelmed with it, but I need to get back into this word and study it more than what is it that we need to know from these verses that'll change us tonight. If you're taking a few notes, just write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, act like you are. It makes you look holy when you do it, right? Yeah. First thing you need to know this. Number one, you need to know how to receive God's word in your life. You need to know how to receive God's word in your life. And in verses 19 through 21, he gives what I call a process of receiving God's word and an action to receiving God's word. In other words, you start to see it's a lot cooler than you think. If you look at it, he says it like this. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That right there is our process for receiving God's word in our life. And you know what? Most of it's self-explanatory. He says you need to be slow to speak. Makes sense. You don't learn by talking. You learn by listening. But then he goes further and says you need to be quick to listen. I mean, when you start to put all that together, here's what you're going to find out. James 1, if you study the book of James, is a launching pad to the rest of the book. 
Almost everything he talks about in James 1, and he gives you a snippet of, he goes deeper into later on. And you say, well, what does that mean? When he says you need to be slow to speak, James 3, 1 says this. Be real careful the words that you teach, that you preach, that you speak, because you're going to be judged doubly for those words that you say. I say it like this. I want you to have fun in life. When you leave here and y'all go to your parties because you're all dressed up and I'm pumped for that. Unicorns, whatever you are. Here's what I figured out. I want you to have fun and the Christian life is supposed to be fun. And even though we were lights in a dark world, let's go do this and let's smile and let's enjoy life. But here's the deal. Just remember this. When you leave these doors, the words that you say and the life that you live, they don't just represent you. They represent the God that you claim. He says, think about that before you say it. But then he goes further and says, be slow to become angry. Remember this. The scattered Christian Jews were being persecuted. What was happening was this. They were becoming angry on the inside because they didn't understand what was happening. And they started to lash out against people. And James was saying this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Be, be, be real careful. He said, I understand that you don't understand things. I understand that you're frustrated. But he goes, if you are not careful and you don't control your anger, out of the abundance of the heart is going to come out of your mouth and you're going to end up being a bad witness. So he says, that's it. That is the process for receiving God's word. But then he gives an action. And this is where it gets interesting for me. If you read it, he goes further and says this. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. There's two things there. He says it like this. He says, get rid of all moral filth that is prevalent. Get rid of it all. I think it's interesting that he says that right in the beginning. He's saying if you really want to receive God's word, you need to get right before you receive God's word. Do you know why I think that's weird? When we do services, here's how we do it. Worship, word, and then we make decisions for Christ. You really want to get something out of worship? Get here 30 minutes early and pray and get your life right. By the time you get right to the word, you're ready for it. I mean, I told people, I was telling some people this last week, I used to speak at a college thing at the University of Alabama. And it was interesting because there were 900 college students across from the stadium and they walk in and it was way different than this one. Because here's what you'd find out. There was about 300 college students that were the core group. There was about another 300 that just randomly were walking across campus and go, I guess I'll go in that room. And there was another 300 that just did an atrocious thing the night before and they were like, dude, I need help really bad. It was the most interesting service I ever did for a year because you would walk in and you know what you would find out? Worship was weird. They would do two songs in the beginning. You know why? It wasn't like y'all. They literally were staring like this. After the word was preached, all of a sudden they would start to raise their hands. It became a triage unit during, during the invitation. I mean, all of a sudden everybody was like, oh man, I got to get my life right. I got to do all this stuff. And I literally thought back then, what would happen? If instead of waiting until the end, what would happen if we got our lives right in the beginning? What would worship look like? He says, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And here's the interesting thing. If, you're, if it's not taboo for you to underline this, I want you to see it. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's an interesting sentence right there. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. When he says planted, here's what it means. Read, studied, memorized, planted. Humbly accept and plant God's word in you. 
There was a day years ago, it was cool to memorize the Bible. When I say that, I don't mean a verse. I mean, it was cool to memorize chapters. It was cool to memorize books of the Bible. And it's weird because some people would do it just so they could say they would do it. But here's what you find out. When you read James 1, he says this. If you humbly accept the word planted in you, it can save you. Here's the mistake a lot of us make. When you see that, we read scripture and go, oh, but I'm already saved. So let's move to the next verse. Can we camp out on that one for a second? Because here's what you're going to find out. He's speaking to Christians. They're already saved. So hear this one and catch it real quick. When he says God's word can save you, he's not talking about salvation from God. He's talking about salvation from you. He says, if you humbly accept and plant God's word in you, God's word can save you from you. Now that you're looking at me confused, let me put it to you this way. Uh, I didn't grow up in church, and most of you probably did. So I'm going to let you help me out here a second. How many of you who grew up in church grew up in or were a participant in or taught in this phenomenon we call vacation Bible school? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. First vacation Bible school I ever went to, I preached at. Didn't even know what it was. I was in college because I didn't grow up in church. And some guy calls me up and says, we've got 300 like elementary school students. Do you want to preach? I, was, I heard the word preach and didn't even care. I'd have preached at a Jewish bar mitzvah for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean you're college, I'm ready to go. I mean, I, and it was weird because I got there. I mean, I showed up in a suit and everything. It was really cool. Only suit I've ever worn in my whole life. And I got up there and you got these first through fifth graders and I'm just preaching. And I don't even know what's happening in vacation Bible school. So as soon as I get done, they tell me, well, here's what's going to happen. Half the kids are going to go in the classroom. Half the kids are going to go to the playground. And I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to be effective this week, I need to be where they are. And so my choice is to go to the classrooms or the playground. So obviously I picked the playground, right? So I go out to the playground, and I'm not even joking you. I'm on the playground for 48 seconds, and a third-year-old kid, like, licks me on the arm for no reason at all. <laughs> and I'm being serious. I mean, I turn around, and dude's licking my arm. It may seem really shallow to you, but in that moment, just like that, I knew I was never called to be a children's minister, ever. Like, you licking my arm is never an option, okay? So when that happened, I was like, before I beat this kid up, and go to jail forever. I think I'm going to go into the classrooms. And here's the deal. This is where you're going to help me. I saw something happen because I didn't grow up in church. It freaked me out. Like I didn't even know what to do with it. I remember walking in this one classroom. And I saw him like learning scripture and stuff. And I'll never forget it. This little girl walks up to this like 78 year old lady. I'm not making fun of 78 year old. I'm just saying she was 78 years old. This little girl walks up. Probably 10 years old. She goes, teacher. Can I have something to eat? And I'll never forget it. I mean, it's, it's like instilled in my mind. The teacher looked at her and goes, I don't know, have you memorized your scripture? A little 10-year-old girl goes, um, I don't think so. You can't have anything to eat till you memorize your scripture. I'm thinking, give the chick a cookie. <laughs> like seriously, man, I'm like, she's 10 for crying out loud. But I guess it was conditioned in them and I remember this girl. No, I'm watching this happen. She goes over. There's like a Bible opened up on a table. She goes over. She reads it. She comes back. She quotes the scripture. Here's your cookie. Enjoy. I thought, you know what? There's one freak in like everywhere, right? So I go to the next classroom, and it was like watching a bad movie again. There's another old lady in there. Not making fun of old ladies. They were just older. This little boy had just come out like off. It was 117 degrees outside, it seemed. 
It was midsummer. He comes in there, teacher, can I have something to drink? I mean, sweating profusely. And I promise you, you think I'm kidding. Have you memorized your scripture? He goes, uh-uh, you can't have anything to drink. Do you remember? I'm thinking he's dehydrating before your eyes. <laughs> Give the kids some Kool-Aid, man. But just like the other girl, I guess they were conditioned to do it. He goes over there. He looks. He comes back. Jesus wept. Here's your water. Enjoy. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. So I'm going to ask you this question because you know this. Do they still bribe little kids to memorize scripture in the Bible, in, in, in vacation Bible school? They do. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I was driving to my college campus going, I don't understand the morality of bribing somebody to learn the Bible. What does that do for somebody? And I'm intellectually thinking about it, and that's what messes you up. Because when you read this passage again, it gets interesting. If you humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, it can save you from you. And you say, what do you mean? I'm willing to bet. All of you who raised your hands. I'm willing to bet if I looked at you and said, um, do y'all still know those scriptures that you were like bribed to memorize when you were five? See, most of you are like, no. <laughs> do not ask me. <laughs> and I would say this to you. I bet you do. And you would say, no, no, wait, you, you obviously don't know me well. I wasn't one of the three that you were talking to. Here's the I promise you, I don't know those passages. And this is what I would say to you. I'm well aware some of you don't know that passage is the book of Philippians. Sadly, some of y'all don't know if that passage is in the Old Testament or New Testament. But let me tell you what I do know. In the Christian life, all of us in life walk up to a line we call sin. And when we get there, there's a battle that happens. In your soul and in your mind, here is the question. Am I going to say yes to this sin or am I going to say no to it? And the battle goes on and you've had it happen to you before. You get there and we are human. And you're like, I want to do this sin. And what happens is you start to hear voices from your past. You're right there about to commit this sin and you hear your mama yelling at you. You're grounded if you do that. You hear a preacher from the past, you're going to hell if you do that. <laughs> but let's just say this. You randomly grew up in church. You barely remember vacation Bible school. You went to a couple of youth camps. You don't remember the speaker's name. But let's just say you get right up to that line and that battle starts to happen. And you're saying this, I don't know where it is in scripture. I'm not sure if it's Genesis. I don't know if it's Galatians. I don't know if it's Lamentations. I'm not sure if it's... Ephesians, but I do know this somewhere. I know that the Bible says this is wrong. And let's just say that day you were mature enough to say this. I'm going to say no to that sin. And when you walked away, here's what you learned. God's word just saved you from you. Because can I tell you something? You and me will choose the sin every single time. The only option we have to say no to sin is to know what the Bible says about it. And he says this, if you humbly accept God's word planted in you one day when you really need it, it's going to save you from you. But he says not only how you receive it makes a difference. Then he goes further. If you're taking notes, number two, how you react to it makes a difference. 
That's where we get into the famous verse. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. That's interesting. Don't just hear it, but you need to do it. In other words, what should our reaction be to God's word? When we read God's word, when we hear somebody preach God's word, when we are listening to these songs about God's word, what should our reaction be to it? Here it is. It needs to be a requirement in your life. It should be a requirement and not an option. Y'all are college students, so I'll say this. Do y'all know the difference in taking a class and auditing a class? Oh, yeah. If you want to graduate, you got to take a class. you got to pass. But you can audit a class. And here's what auditing means. I just want to take the class for fun. By the way, people that do that are freaks. <laughs> Who wants to take a class for fun? But there are people that audit classes, and you know what it means? You don't have to take any tests. It means you don't have to show up in class if you don't want to. You're paying for a class just to randomly get some knowledge out of it. But here's the kicker. But you can't graduate auditing it. If you want to graduate, you actually have to have it required. And you've got to learn something and pass or fail. The idea behind that is this. When you see James 1.21, he says, don't just be a hearer of God's word. You need to be a doer of God's word. What that means is at some point, the stuff that you read needs to be lived out in your life. There's a lot of people that randomly go, you know what? This one's a requirement. You know, this one's not so much. This one kind of bugs me. Not sure what I think about this. Here's the idea. You don't have an option. The Bible is not an opinion. I mean, if you ever understand why they call Jesus the king and why in the Old Testament there are kings, because they don't live in a democracy. A democracy means we all give opinions and they vote on our opinion. You know what a king means? He doesn't care about your opinion. A king says this is what the law is and you do it. I know it sounds weird to you, but the only way you can truly live the Christian life out is when you read this, you can't just read it and amen to it. You've got to choose to do it. You've got to be it. But it's weird how we just kind of, it's not that big of a deal. There's some things that aren't big of a deal. I'll say it to you like this. My wife, I said before, truly a godly lady. I mean, unbelievable. It's kind of weirdly intimidating to live with. But it's interesting because she grew up a certain way and I grew up completely opposite. I mean, I was talking to my pastor the other day and he was... He was like telling me about his life and he was like, hey, I didn't listen to secular music until I was 20 because he lived in a very legalistic home. I look at him and laugh and I go, my mom was giving me margaritas when I was eight. And I'm being serious when I say that. I go, bro, you and I grew up way opposite each other. My wife and I grew up opposite too, but when it comes to Christianity, we're on the same page. I'll never forget doing a youth camp one time. And I'd preach for a couple of days. And there's like 500 students. Real similar to this. 500 students in this place. And talking about doing the word, it interestingly became a joke. The third day my wife came in. And it was kind of like the pictures, you know. I was like, hey, man. She won't tell me about my wife. Hey, uh, you know, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's your wife. It's cool. And I was preaching. And there was a point to where I asked the students a question. And I knew the answer. But I didn't know that my wife was going to react the way she did. I asked the students a question. And just for fun, I'll ask you. I said, how many of you would go, I'm a Christian. And of course I've cheated on a test in the last year. Just raise your hands. 
Be on. Go, go, stop. Okay? When I said that, you know how it is at a youth camp? Dude, they were like, me? There were some of them like, twice last week? Some of them started high-fiving each other. They were like, you too? Same test? Woo! And here's the deal. I actually thought that was a funny reaction. And I'm a speaker, and I'm watching it. And my sermon was like going this way. But I remember looking down, and I saw my wife. And she turned around, and she had this look of, are you being serious? And I didn't want people to think my wife was spiritually arrogant. Because she's not. But let me say this to you in case you don't know it. My wife became a Christian when she was nine. My wife's testimony is very simple. And people don't get this stuff. Because I remember one time asking my wife, Hey babe, can you give your testimony at this revival? No, nobody wants to hear my testimony. I go, really? What, what? This is my wife's testimony. When I was nine, I became a Christian. And I've been trying to live for Jesus ever since. And that's it. Can I say something to you? I wish that were my testimony. You know the problem with that? Some of you, that's your testimony, and you're scared to talk. You know why? As a church, we've so sensationalized stuff, it's a joke. I mean, like, you know, we want to hear from the guy that, like, blew up his home, <laughs> did drugs, went to jail, blew up the jail, <laughs> joined the army, blew up a country. Then he became a Christian, and every, every church in America is like, man, we would love to hear your testimony, and we sit back, and we are mesmerized at that. Can I just say something to you? I became a Christian when I was nine, and I've been trying to live for Jesus ever since. We need to hear from those people again. You know what? I speak to a generation of students that think there's no way that could happen. Hear me when I say this. My wife never cheated on a test. Ever. Not because she was the smartest one in the class. The Bible says that's stealing. The Bible says that would be cheating. That's defined as sin in your life. And I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm watching what's happening right here. And so I watched my wife and she had this scared look. Is this real? And I sat there and I said, like, okay, everybody put your hands down. I said, can I ask y'all a question? How many of you would say, since I've been a Christian, I know what the Bible says about stealing. And even though maybe I failed a test because of this, I have never cheated on a test since I was a Christian. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. 500 people claiming to be Christians. Finally, everybody's pointing over here. And I start looking over here. And I see this one girl in the third row doing this. And I look there and I go, is your hand up? She goes. I go, be proud and put your hand up. She goes. <laughs> she was the only one in the room. I finally go, let me ask it another way because I don't want to. I'm not asking you, have you not cheated because you're like smart. Did you choose not to cheat because you know what the Bible says and you chose to do God's word instead of going against it? She goes, that's right. I said, raise your hand up. She goes. In that moment, you know what I thought? I'm thinking in a 10-second span, I've got people high-fiving each other because they cheated on a test, and I've got one girl here, and this is what I thought. I would love to ask the church for the rest of my life. Can you explain to me when sin became funny and it'd be shameful to have integrity? When did that happen? 
Like if we got into the place that we just accept it, here's what the Bible says. Don't just listen to it, do it. My wife's got a simple way of living, and it's going to sound too simple for you. And it, I thought it was too for about 10 years until I realized she's godly and I'm not. My wife would stand here and say this. If the Bible says do it, you do it. If it says don't do it, don't do it. Can I just be honest? If you do that, you're going to be better in the Christian life than getting deeper than you could ever imagine. Because he says, if you want to react to it, react to it as though this is God's word for me. And if it says do it, I'm going to do it. If it says don't do it, I'm not going to do it. And by the way, he gives an illustration about that. He keeps going. If you have your Bible still open, he says this. Don't just be hear the word, be a doer of the word. And then he gives an illustration about two men. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is a man who looks at his face in the mirror and walks away and, and, and forgets what he sees and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks into the perfect law that gets freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. Do you see that word? He'll be blessed in what he does. Notice he goes from the man who looks at his face in the mirror and walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Goes from a mirror to, but the man that looks to the perfect law that gives freedom. Do you understand that the difference in looking at God's word and looking at yourself? In other words, it's what Jared was saying. The day you realize you can't fix yourself is when you solely look at the perfect word that gives freedom. It's the only thing that can help you. But he says an interesting thing at the end. There's one man that watches it, leaves, and completely forgets it. But there's another man that looks at it intently. And he doesn't forget it, and he's blessed in what he does. Let me define it for you like this as an illustration. We in America, really the world, but we know America better, I'll say this. We have what I call celebrity pastors. Do y'all know that? We've got pastors today that are more famous than rock stars. They're more famous than movie stars. Just so you know, that freaks me out really bad. Not because I'm not one of them. I'm not jealous. The Bible says this. If you preach God's word, people will hate you for it. It's just weird to me that we got guys that everybody loves them. I've been to some of these guys' churches, just like Aaron and Jay, Jay would have. We've been to them. Here's what you'll find out. It's amazing. People are mesmerized with these. Wait, you don't understand. Boy, when my pastor preached, whoo, it's like he's got a direct link with God. Some of you say that about some of the guys you listen to online. I'm telling you, man, boy, when he speaks, whoo, man, he and God, they're like this, man. They've become celebrity pastors because you say stuff like that. It's interesting to me because here's your answer. Wait, you know why that guy, that pastor's deep. Boy, when he says stuff, it's deep. You know what I found out after traveling for 20 years? Pastors today are no deeper than they've ever been. Churches are just more shallow. You know why? We don't care about reading this. Hey, pastor, that was awesome, bro. You listen to him and you go, man, he's connected with God. You want to know the difference between him and you? That man humbly read the word, humbly studied the word, humbly measured his life against the word. And yet you wonder why he's blessed by that word and you're not. Let me say this to you. You need to clap on your pastors. They are God's shepherds for us. But for you and I to get deep and to bridge the gap, 
from going from the baptistry to the mission field. Do you know what that means? It means you listen to your pastor, you applaud your pastor. But when you leave church, you go back to your room, you open up your Bible, you read it, and you study it, because that's how you're going to get blessed by it. That's what it means. The one who studies it and gets into it, God's going to bless you in it and through it. we got to hurry. How we receive God's word, how we react to God's word, and the last thing, just, just, just quickly, how we respond to God's word makes a difference. That's verses 26 and 27. It's interesting how he puts it, and it's a very cutthroat thing. I think sometimes we don't see it like that, but I just want to give you a little bit of the background. He says it like this. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in the distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. It's interesting, and I'm going to quickly do this. Understand, verse 26 is not the verse that means you don't cuss. Our people that, hey man, I just want you to know, you can't get your tongue into, when I, was, when I started going to church, they just said, that, was, that means you don't need to be cussing. Let me say this to you. He says the most cutthroat thing a pastor could say to a church. He looks at him and he says it in an interesting way. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. I mean, imagine what it would be like if Jared and Aaron got done, you know, leading worship. And I walked up here and I said this. Um, I was watching y'all in worship. Just so you know, what you just did was worthless. See, somebody just did Because you're thinking what? Who are you, bro? You don't know me. And you're right. I haven't earned the right to say that because I don't know you. But let me explain something to you. You know why James said such a cutthroat thing? Because he knew him. He was one of them. James's title was the head of the Jerusalem Council. Here's what that means. He's the pastor of the Jewish Christian church. He knew what was going on. And if you read church history, this is where it's going to bring these verses to life. When these people became persecuted, they scattered among the region looking for answers. God, why is this happening to us? Why are we doing this? And what they did in the midst of that was they decided to go back to what was familiar. They started to act out their Jewish ceremonies they learned as children. Biblical ceremonies. They started to do these ceremonies... And that's why he comes down on them. And you say, wait, 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 wait. What, what are you talking about? They were going back to get comfort. Because anytime you want comfort, you look at the old days. Like how many of you, be honest, usually it happens to girls more than anything. You ever walked into a room and your mom's watching old videos of you and she's crying going, ah Can I define that for you because I'm a parent? She's looking at that going, we used to love each other. We used to get each other. And when she goes through a tough time, you know what she does? She goes back and looks at pictures of you when you were a little girl or a little boy. And she says this, there was a time it was really good. So these people were persecuted. And they said, when was the greatest time of our lives? When we were little children and we acted out these little Jewish ceremonies. And here's what he says. Hey, man, it's okay to do ceremonies, but here's the deal. The ceremonies you're acting out are not matching up what you're claiming. Listen, this, is where, this verse is where we get it. He says, what you say is not matching up with what you're doing. You're acting at a ceremony 
but you're acting all depressed over here. And he says this, hold on a second. If what you say does not match up with what you do, just so you know, that religion is worthless. See, there's a lot of people that claim Christianity in their life, and that's awesome, but they live completely different than what they say. Do you understand? What you say is not what you believe. What you do is actually what you believe. It's weird to me because I'm this guy. People randomly come up to me. And I'll say this, I'll go to a revival at a church and I'll meet a family. And random men come up, hey, uh, this is my wife and two kids. We're all Christians. I, I get that all the time. I, I'll have people call me, hey, I just want you to know my name is so-and-so. I'm 19. I'm a Christian. And I get that all the time. And I'm kind of going, okay, why, why are you telling me you're a Christian? I mean, I'll be your friend if you're not. But it's that thing that you're trying to prove a point to me. Can I just say this? And I want to say it to all those people. Dude, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you don't have to tell me that. I'll know it. Do you know what I say to men all the time? I say to men, you don't ever have to tell me you're a Christian. Do you know how I know you're a Christian? By how you treat your wife. I'll know it every time. You know what I say to students all the time? I know you're a Christian by how you treat your parents. In other words, it's one thing for you to say, woohoo, I'm a Christian. It's another thing for you to say, but I'm going to honor my mom and dad no matter what. He said, if you say one thing and you do another, something doesn't match. But he said, but the day, the day you get deep enough that what you claim in Christianity is how you lived a life. He says, that's a beautiful marriage right there. <laughs> then he ends it by saying this. Religion that is pure and faultless that he accepts is to look out for orphans and widows. Can I say this? He's giving an illustration. He's not telling you this is the end-all, be-all. The church takes care of widows and orphans. Why? Because of that verse. But I know a lot of churches and a lot of people that that's their entire religion right there. Understand, James, when he's saying this, is giving an illustration. He says, by the way, the religion and the life you're living is worthless. So I want to tell you how to live. And if you need an illustration on how to live, why don't you just start with the widows and orphans? That's one thing to do. If he could go further, he would have said this. Tithing's another one. How you treat your neighbor is another one. Having integrity and honesty would be another one. In other words, he's saying this. That day where somebody comes up to you and says this, I've never heard you say it, but I do know one thing. Dude, you're a Christian, aren't you? That's one of those days you start to realize not only have you heard the word, but you've started to live it out in front of this world. It's one thing to be in the baptistry. It's the proclamation of your faith. It's beautiful. The extension of that is to know what you believe so that you can live out your faith. And that is my hope. If we get that deep, I'm telling you the world's going to change. Because if Jesus can change the world with 12, I promise he can change Denton with 500. Let's live this thing. Just bow with me just for a second. As the guys make their way up, I want us to end not only singing a song, but making a proclamation with our hearts. And by all means, there's no doubt, if you want to make a decision for Christ, and maybe you've been thinking all week, and you're like, hey man, I, 
I need to make a profession of faith. Or maybe you just want to tell somebody you received the Lord on Thursday or whatever. Listen, I mean, Zach's going to be on the front. There's going to be several like, you know, you got leadership here that would love to hear from you and they will pray for you. If you need to come and just kind of release some things and just say, I've had a tough week and I just need to get some things right. If you want to come and kneel at the altar, then you can. But my hope is that tonight we take it a little bit further and it not just be outward, but the invitation be inward. So here's how we'll do it. Can you just look at me just for a second? When the guys start, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say in Jesus' name, amen. And here's the deal. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. I'm going to ask, and y'all can just pick it out, if there's like 10 or 15 of the leadership team to just come up here and just kind of be around. If you're out there and you say, man, I just need somebody to pray for me or pray with me, that's what we're here for. We are community. We're the church. Anything you are going through, we've been through. Anything you need, we will go with you. And if you need to come up here and just grab somebody and say, that's great. But tonight, internally, this is what I think is a valid decision. You want to be saved? Awesome. You want to recommit your life to Christ? Awesome. You need prayer? Do it. Awesome. This is what I think is a valid decision tonight. Maybe just all by yourself, you make this commitment, not to me, not to anybody around you, but to God. Maybe you would say this. Hey, God, here's my decision tonight. I choose tonight to start reading your word every day for the rest of my life. I promise that commitment is valid and it will change your life forever. Because the Bible says his word never goes void. That means it always brings and births life, whether it breaks your heart or it puts your heart back together. I would give anything in the world to have all of the answers for all of you, but nobody can do that. No human can, but God will and can, and his word is there for you. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.